You know, before we head into James here, and this may take us a, a while. I mean, we're only in the first chapter, and we probably won't finish it up today uh, because there is just a lot. I, I want to reiterate to everyone that, uh, you know, we have gotten used to over years that we come and are fed, and then we check the box that we, we did our spiritual thing. But this is just the culmination or the icing on top of the cupcake, if you will, from a spiritual life that we live seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We're coming together as a body of Christ, whether here in person or online, to unify and to give glory and honor to God, to recognize, to set aside our, other li- our, our daily lives and to set apart time to really thank Him. But this does not resolve you from your personal responsibility. Because a relationship with Jesus Christ is one-on-one. It's you and Him. It either exists, it somewhat exists, or it doesn't exist. Coming here and hearing and checking the box and then turning it off won't work. This is just part of our whole spiritual life and spiritual journey. So you can come and hear the music and and rejoice in it and you can have fellowship and you can hear the word of God uh, taught and preached but if you don't internally digest ingest and think on and pray on and then act on that all the rest of the week then you're missing it it's as much as you'd all like to blame me when you get to heaven it won't work folks God is not going to sit there and let you go, well, Mark didn't do this. Because you know what he's going to do? He's going to turn right around and go, then why didn't you? And for me, that's a praise God, hallelujah, amen. I know what my responsibility is. And my prayer is is that I will be able to fulfill that, his Holy Spirit through me, so that when I reach those gates just like you, he'll be able to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, come on. That's my prayer. And I want us to understand there that does not relinquish any of us from our own personal responsibility to seek out Jesus, to read his word, and to study it. So please, please. If you are like me in today's world, I struggle daily, hourly sometimes, depending on what, what influences I'm around at the moment, keeping my mouth shut. Surprise, right? Surprise. Harry takes the computer away, takes my phone away, tells me no a lot. I, I have realized, and we're not going to address it this morning, but I have realized this, and I want you to think and pray on this. Why is it that we have come to a point in our world and in our lifetime that we can't tell the truth? We can't tell the truth of God, Period. I've seen so many interchanges this week about things that were wrong, that are wrong spiritually, are totally opposed to God's word. And someone speaks it, and within seconds, somebody's response is, well, that's being judgmental, or that's not being very loving. Well, I'm here to tell you, the truth is this, God's word is God's word, And we cannot mask it today, no matter how hard we try, that it's being judgmental or not being loving. 
We are called by God to love God and to love others. Amen? I get it. And I am called not to judge you. But that doesn't mean I need to refrain from speaking the truth of God no matter how hard it hurts or whose toes it steps on. It's all right, they say, if I do, if this person does this. But if this person over here speaks the truth of God, oh, well, that's not loving and that's judgmental and we can't do that anymore. And Terry would say, stop. Full malarkey is a We can't be afraid. We talk about not being, a, being fearful of the virus. Baloney. The bigger fear is being afraid to speak the word of God in love. And much of what we're talking about is sin. And yes, sin is sin and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. But it's still sin. And our world wants to paint it every other way. Turn with me. Chapter 1. Last week we talked about how God allows trials in our lives. He allows trials in our lives. That's not what we like to hear, but he does. He allows trials in our lives. And we talked about eight different ways. They weren't my ways or my thoughts. Uh, Actually, John MacArthur helped with them and some other commentaries. That he allows those trials in our lives for, for positive reasons. We talked about those last week. Um, Today we're going to talk about five key means for persevering through trials. So if we've talked about that God allows trials, guess what? That means there's going to be trials, all right? Let's just say it out front. We're going to have trials. How many of you ever have lived a trial-free life thus far? Have Have we? Anybody here live a trial-free life? I just want to got a message. I'm going to go. We've all had trials, and guess what? We're having trials, and we're going to have trials. And God says in his word, he allows trials for specific reasons spiritually. So in that case, we need to look at how can we persevere through these trials, and we're going to look at that in in the book of James, uh, and we're going to look at five of them at least, uh, in the book of James, James chapter 1, and we're going to start with a little bit overlap from last. Let me read the scripture first, and we'll go back and... So James chapter 1, if you have your Bible, turn them on or open them up, um, and let's American Standard. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives to all generously and without reproach? And it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. But the brother of humble humble circumstances is glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his, hum- in his humiliation because like flowering grass, 
For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed so that so too the rich man in the midst of his persecution fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved. Receive which the Lord those who God's blessing be. James here is dealing with temptation, trials as well. I studied, it was interesting to find out commentaries and those of um, much study and learning said that uh, there are two different type of trials. Verses 2 through 12 of chapter 1, we're going to talk about today, holy trial. So we, when we're in the midst of trial, we say, oh, holy trial. No. Holy trials, what are they? They are holy trials or problems. Problems sent from God. Holy trials are problems sent from God, and they test the reality of our faith and produce likeness as we go through them. Don't get mad at God right away that he sends trials your way. Doing it as a loving mother or father would do, so that you and I would grow into the likeness of Christ. So that we would be stronger because of whatever the trial is today, because he knows what's coming tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. So he's preparing us so that we will hopefully learn and become more Christ-like and be able to handle the trials down the way, as we talked last week. That we could not only handle our trials, that we would be prepared then to handle and help other people through trials. That we could be of service to them, a blessing to them. Holy in verses 13 through 17, which we'll look at next week, are the unholy trials or temptations. Take note, these come from within, within you and within me. These come from within and lead us to sin. These are the ones that we need the power of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures and prayer and everybody around us in our Christian faith to help us the war or ward off. That's next week. Trials, as we discussed last week, are productive or at least should be. And we need to look at them as such, what James tells us. Thus, we must respond to them or these trials in the right way. And that's where we struggle. We, we get in the midst of a trial and it's all about getting our head back above water getting somebody to throw us the lifeline, getting out of it as quickly as possible because we just don't enjoy it. It hurts, it's no fun, it's painful or whatever. But we need to look at trials differently, understanding that God allows them to come into our life. And for those reasons, to help make us better, help make us stronger, help get us ready for whatever else is to come. And he knows that because he's God. It's where the rubber meets the road, you might say. Our response to our trials must be in the proper form and fashion. It must be spiritually and not just physically. And it's really hard, if you'll admit with me, when you're in the midst of the trials, not to respond physically because we think we can, we can do enough physical activity or actions or words for some of us to get us out of the situation faster. And what, what really normally happens is the more we try physically to get out of it in our own strength, we just bury ourselves deeper. Whereas if we would take a step back and pray or give God some, some openings to come into our life, those trials would, 
would still be there, but we would walk through them in a different manner, in a different light, with a different attitude, and probably with a stronger and better outcome. Five key means for persevering through trials. So now if you're counting the pages as I turn them over, don't, because I write big, all right? Number one, number one, five means uh, to help through and persevere through trials. Number one, a joyful attitude. Oh, Mark, give me a break. I'm in the midst of a trial. I, I just had a flat tire, and you want me to be out there singing joy to the world? I don't know. Would it take your mind off the tire? Probably. But everybody that passes you think you're crazy? Yep. That take your mind off the, the tire? Yep. Joyful attitude changes everything. It's been said, I can't remember by who, Christian writer, uh, read many of his books, but he said, uh, um, attitude determines altitude. Attitude determines altitude. It's amazing. Now, I know I've been there, done that. When you're in the midst of self-wallow and pity and where you're just rejoicing, being feeling sorry for yourself, and somebody walks around and, and goes, well, you just want to smack them. Admit it. We've all been there, done that. We just Sometimes we humans just love to be in the bottom of the barrel. But the moment we begin to change our attitude, things begin to change. Joy is not, joy, joy as James speaks of it here, is not a natural human response to trials, amen? It's just not. It's not the first thing you think of when the trial hits. We are called to not be somewhat joyful. This is gets it. I mean, it's, it's bad enough that the Bible says, hey, be joy, have joy in your trials. But the Bible doesn't just call us to be somewhat joyful. But look what, what James says in verse 2. Consider it what? All joy. All joy. Not just, just a little joy. We're to have all joy in the midst of trials. John MacArthur in his New Testament commentary says this. James... The writer is speaking of a unique fullness of joy that the Lord graciously provides his children when they willingly and uncomplainingly endure troubles while trusting in him. Regardless of the, regardless of the cause, the type, or the severity of the distress, he will always use them for our benefit and for his own glory. It is not because of some sort of religious uh, masochism, but rather a sincere trust in the promise and goodness of our Lord that we can look on trials as a welcome friend. To have a joyful attitude is within our ability. How? Under the Spirit's provision. Sunday school talked about the Holy Spirit. Powerful, powerful power. To have a joyful attitude is within our ability only as we allow it under the Spirit's provision. I myself can't create it. We'll try. I can try. But to really have the right attitude of joy in the midst of a trial, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. He provides that strength to me to rise above. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. We know the first verse, a very familiar passage, 12, 
Verse 1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now look at verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy, who for the joy, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You think we are the only ones who have ever had trials? Jesus, the Son of God, had the most pressing trial ever. And yet here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Who for the joy set before him the trial that was yet to come. I studied this. There is only one that humanly approached any closeness to the trial that Jesus went through, biblically speaking. That was Abraham. When God called Abraham to take his one and only son up on the mountain, sacrifice. That's a study all in it. One key mean for, persever- per- for persevering through trials is a joyful attitude. Number two, it's an understanding mind. An understanding mind. James verse 3 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Knowing. Knowing. That involves the mind. Knowing here is in the Greek, meaning carries the idea of full understanding of something that is beyond the, the merely factual and that often comes from personal experience. Let me read it again because I probably didn't read it very well. Knowing in the Greek, it means here. It means that you carry the idea of full understanding, knowing, full understanding of something that is beyond the merely factual, which we always seem to go back to, the factual, and that often comes from personal experience. That's where we go from the, the human road to the spiritual road. Knowing here, knowing that the testing of your faith produces insurance in produces endurance, is a deep knowing, a higher knowing, a full knowing of what this trial means. As Christians, we know from experience and from God's Word that going through trials, depending on and calling upon God, strengthens our faith and produces endurance. Now, we may not see it as as we go through the trial, but as we look back, we can see that that trial, as we responded prayerfully in the right way through the Spirit's provisions that our prayer life got deeper because we're screaming to God for help. And guidance and direction, we were looking to Him because whatever we were seeing physically wasn't working, that we were being drawn into a deeper spiritual relationship during that trial, which not only helped us to get through that trial successfully, but then prepared us for whatever lies in the future, an understanding mind. We need to understand that. We can't just discount it as a church thing or as a church word or as a thing we learned at Sunday school. We need to take that which God is teaching us and bring it into our lives and then count on it and live based on it. It's easy for us to walk away and say, I'll pray for you. It's another thing to literally pray for them. And do what you said you would do. We, we, 
we scream out to God during our trials. We strive to connect at the highest levels to God to help us, right? During those trials, we scream, God, help me. Help me get out of this. We do not like where we are, but we know why only God can truly get us through. We're brought to that point of surrendering and giving in to obedience because of the trial in which we are, are in. It brings us to that, that depth that God wants to take us, but it has to begin with an understanding mind. If we totally quickly, which is our natural response, just to go, our, go to our physical strength, going to miss out. And the trial really will become. We understand with our mind, we know with our mind, we must learn to live what we have learned and profess. We must live, we must live to learn, we must learn to live slower. We must learn to live that which we have learned and profess. Knowledge isn't anything. You must have an understanding mind. We won't read these scriptures, but Psalm 40, if you want to look at them later, verses 1 and 2, talks about David having an understanding mind, understanding and knowing. And also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul talks about being allowed to trust in faith and to carry on. Number two, a way to persevere through our trials is to have an understanding mind. Think about that one. Think about that one. Number three, another way to help us persevere through our trials is to have a submissive will. Now, don't turn me off when I mention the word submissive. That's another scripture, all right, that you're all thinking about. But here it's very important. We must have a submissive will. Look at verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We must have a submissive will. The only way out of a trial, and I love this, it has been said, and I can't remember who said this, it has been said, I didn't say this, so don't give me any credit. The only way out of a trial is through it. The only way out of a trial is through it. Now, what do we try to do? We try to find every other way out of a trial than through it, don't we? With anything else. But don't make me go the whole distance, Lord. Don't make me go the whole distance. But the only way actually through a trial successfully is to go through it. The Lord promises no bypasses. Only that he will always see his people through the trials without them suffering spiritual harm. He will see us through the trial... That's his promise, and his other promises that we'll get through the trial with no spiritual harm if we allow the Spirit's provisions to help us. But God cannot get us through what with through without our willing submissiveness. You think, well, wait a minute, Mark. God is God. Well, if you look in the Greek, the words here in verse 4, perfect and complete. In the Greek, perfect means fully developed. Not talking about somebody being looking just right or anything of that nature. It's talking deeper than that on the spiritual realm. It's talking that of something that is fully developed. And two, complete, it talks about in the Greek the idea of being whole, a full 360 degree, 360 degree look. 
perfect and complete, fully developed and whole, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. Now again, understand we're talking spiritually here, getting through trials. Lacking in nothing and no misunderstanding. The end result of trials is to obtain maturity, completeness, and not lacking in anything of spiritual importance and value. That's the goal of getting through the trial, is that we grow in our spiritual maturity and that as we come out of it, we lack nothing of its spiritual importance that we were being taught and the value that comes from it. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says this. After you have suffered for a little while, God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Will perfect. Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Who will do it? God will do it. As we submit our will to him to allow him to do it to us and in us and through us as we move through the trial. It's not a magical thing. It's not a Disney thing where you take the wand and and touch somebody's face or nose or whatever and things go away. The trial disappears. No, it's not a magical thing. God has promised to do his part. We must provide and we must allow him to do his part as we submit our will to his. Not my will, but his will be done. The greatest trial, as I just discussed, was Jesus on the cross. The second one to it, and only one that can even come close, would be Abraham when he sacrificed Isaac. In both cases, Jesus submitted his will, and Abraham submitted his will to the God of creation, so that God would be glorified and honored. Number four, the fourth key mean for persevering through trials is this, a believing heart. A believing heart, verses 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. The first requirement for such belief of a believing heart or having a believing heart in getting through trials, the first requirement for such belief is, a belief, is that we have godly understanding. Godly understanding. It's different than human understanding. But we, we go to human understanding first and then fall back on godly understanding. But to make it through the trials successfully that are allowed in our lives, we must go to them and go through them with a godly understanding. Well, how do you have a godly understanding if you've never studied the Word of God? How do you have a godly understanding if you don't have an active prayer life? How do you have a godly understanding if you aren't in service to the God we claim we serve? And that's more than just being in church on Sunday morning. It's plugging in you and God together in His Word, studying, and Him teaching you Himself through the Spirit. 
We must begin to live our lives with a godly understanding instead of allowing the world to coax us and force us into living in a worldly perspective. This godly understanding, this need for godly understanding must derive and must drive us to seek God. Ask God, ask God, believing. And the scripture tells us as we do that, he will supply understanding and wisdom. We see it here in the scriptures. If you lack wisdom, ask. And what will he do? He will give wisdom generously. Not just what you need for the moment, but he will give you an overflowing amount of wisdom. And he will then help you understand the wisdom that he has given you. But we have to do more than just speak it. We have to believe it. When you're in a pickle and you need help, who should you call? Not Ghostbusters. But call upon the name of God. That's what the Bible invites us to do. When evil is all around you and you need to get out, you need to escape, the Bible calls us to rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus Christ and he cannot come forth. And he will, God will provide a way of escape. It's not just good scripture verses to have on our walls, on our computer. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, familiar passage, I'll let you look that up later. Trials should enhance our prayer life, not just at the moment when we're screaming out to God for help, but they should drive us deeper, understanding that through prayer in that trial, God responded, why don't I just have an active, consistent prayer life, and life itself will be different. We must have a believing heart. God gives us wisdom when asked, not just a little bit, but generously and without reproach. What does this without reproach mean? It means without reprimand. This should excite all of us. It means like God gives us wisdom generously, and then he doesn't, his next comment is, is like not at some snide remark that says, well, you should have already known this. Or if you hadn't have done that, you would have already had that. We've all been there, done that, where somebody gives us good advice, but right after they give it, they give us one of those remarks that just lowers us to the God won't do it. It says he'll give it to us without reproach, without reprimand. He will not remind us first of how undeserving and unworthy we are. He will not chide us for not asking sooner. What will he do? He will just answer our prayer and give us wisdom generously because he's a loving father. And to that we should say, praise God, hallelujah. He will give when asked in belief. We must believe what we say. And what we ask for, it's that understanding mind, it's that submissive will, it's that responding with that joyful attitude, it's that thinking on the spiritual level instead of the physical level. And I get it, it's hard to do when you're involved in the midst of a trial. Our Heavenly Father gives us generously and without reproach. Number six, or not number six, verse six. The right kind of asking. The right kind of asking, we must ask in faith without doubting. You know, sometimes we just throw it out there to God. Hope, it lands. How many of you fish? Be that raise their hand. Okay. You know, you throw it out and just hope. That's what I do. 
I don't fish anymore. I'm not good. I, it's, you know, the old adage way back when I was growing up is you have to be quiet to fish. That counted me out pretty quick. Done. Catch something in the first two seconds, I'm good. Hey, this is fun and exciting. If I have to wait more than five, I'm done. I'm out of here. I have to tell you, though, I did go on a, a, a fishing excursion with some guys a couple Thanksgivings ago. They really were only, they only did it in Florida because they did not want to get uh, roped into going shopping on Friday after Thanksgiving with their wives. They said, we got to take Pastor Mark out. He's never been on one of these chartered fishing trips. So I was the excuse. But it was the best fishing trip ever. I tell you, it was best. It, I, and it was, you paid for it, but it was great. I mean, this young man retired out of the Marines, just a young dude. He had his own little charter thing. We got in his boat. He had the gear. He had the, all the, the uh, bait and all that stuff. He took us to the spot that he'd been at before. He grabbed the thing. He baited the thing. He threw it out. I mean, he threw it out right by the tree. I would have been in the tree, over the tree, wrapped around the tree. He threw it out. He handed it. He goes, here, go, Mark. And all I had to do was stand there. And all of a sudden, the fish started to bite. And I'm going. He runs over to me. He goes, now start pulling back and reel. Pull back and reel. Pull. I was doing it. And then the fish started taking me all around the boat. And what did he do? He goes, come on, Mark, run around the boat. So I'm running around the boat, doing this all the way around the boat. And finally, we get this thing holding. It's a big fish. It was big, though. And he helped me. He took it off for me. He handed it to me, and then he stood back and took pictures of me with it. And then we threw it in. And then he did the whole process again. And, and when that spot went dry, he said, come on, boys, this is not good anymore. we got to go to another spot. He drove the boat to another spot that as soon as you threw the line in, you got fish again. It was amazing. If I could fish like that all the time, I would. And he would even clean them if you could have. Amazing. We have to. To not just throw our prayers out like we're just hoping in a good spot. We have to do it without doubting. It must be backed by genuine trust in God's character, purpose, and promise. Guys, God is God, right? His character is perfect. His purpose is perfect. His promise, every one of them have been fulfilled forever and ever and forever will be. We don't have to doubt. Verse 6, 7, and 8, it talks about being tossed about. Expect nothing, double-minded. What does double-minded mean? It claims to be, it's somebody who claims to be a believer. His actions reveals he is an unbeliever. He turns to human resources rather than trusting in God. He knows something of God's word and of God's love, grace, and providence, but refuses to avail himself of those divine resources. Sound familiar? We must not be double-minded. It was more head knowledge Head knowledge, though, must translate into a believing heart. Last, a humble spirit. Verse 9 and 11. But the brother of a humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering glass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. A humble spirit to get through trials. Glory in, its, in, in, in his high position. This is not pride, but a realization of the position as a child of God and the countless blessings that come with that position. A humble spirit in regards to our spiritual life 
found in Jesus Christ. What is that? We should glory in that high visit. It's not being prideful here. It's a realization. You and I realizing. You and I realizing the position we have as a child of God. And then living it. And then understanding the countless number of blessings that go along with being a child of We want to claim that we're a child of God, but we don't even dig into all the perks that go with it. We may be hungry, but He has the bread. We may be thirsty, but He is the water of life. We may be poor, but he has eternal riches. We may be cast aside by men on this earth, but he has, he has been eternally, but he lets us be eternally received by God for the countless blessings and more. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 for later. The rich man reminded that his material possessions and wealth are like flowering grass, that will pass away. Things of this earth are but temporary. We heard that, we hear that said a lot, but do we take it depth of a humble spirit? A humble spirit, no matter what. Most, in, most importantly, a trusting relationship with the Lord. As I mentioned earlier, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. But we should never shy away from speaking the truth of God. In verse 12, he wraps this section up with the reward. There is a reward as we do these things to persevere through trials. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is, there is a prize, folks. Blessed here in the Greek, same, it's the same blessed, same meaning as those in the Beatitudes. Profound inner joy and satisfaction that can only be found in and bestowed on us by the Lord. Isn't that what we're all searching for? We're searching for a true inner joy that gives us peace and a true satisfaction that no matter what's going on, still have a firm foundation. First Peter 1, 7. The man who perseveres under trial never... Re- Listen to this as we wrap up. The man who perseveres under trial never relinquishes his confidence or his confident trust in God. 